In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Dear saints, today we meditate on the temptation of Christ the Lord. We focus on the temptation he faced after his baptism, the one he faced alone in the wilderness, and it was the devil himself who tempted him when he was at his weakest. And through it all, Jesus never failed. He didn't fail in this specific temptation, and he didn't fail in any other temptation he faced in life. He never looked, he never lusted, he never overate in gluttony, he never thought or acted selfishly. It's not only that he never sinned, but more than that, he never even considered it. He never desired sin. He never even had a fleeting thought of sin cross his mind or an unclean desire pass through his flesh. He was pure and holy and sinless in thought, word, and deed and desire. Jesus did not sin. And it's not only that Jesus did not sin, but it's also that he could not sin. We call this the impeccability of Christ. He was not only sinless, he was incapable of singing, sinning, unsusceptible to it. He didn't even have the potential for it. It's impossible for the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, being of one substance with the Father, to ever sin. So Jesus is God. God is unable to sin, therefore Jesus is unable to sin because Jesus is God. He cannot sin. He cannot lie. He cannot lust. He cannot murder. He cannot doubt. He cannot be disobedient. He can't do any evil. Okay, so I know what you're thinking now because I had the same question before. Okay, but Jesus was made man. If he can't sin, doesn't this take away from his humanity? Doesn't that mean he's no longer truly human if he doesn't even have the potential or the ability to sin? Now, it's true. Jesus is truly man. He truly had flesh and hair and eyes and teeth and a heart and a soul. However, he had no sin. But this is because you don't have to sin to be truly human. Sin is not essential to our humanity. Think about it. When God created Adam and Eve, they were without sin for a time, and they were truly human. They didn't suddenly become human when they fell into sin, right? Even more, in the resurrection, we will be raised from the dead without sin, and not just that, but we too will be incapable of falling back into the sin from which our Lord saved us, and we will still be human. That doesn't mean we'll cease to be human the resurrection. In fact, we will be what it truly and fully means to be human. And so the same is true for Jesus. In his incarnation, Jesus is still truly human, even though he does not have one spot or blemish on him of sin, and even though he is completely incapable of ever doing anything wrong. Now, I need to make another point. Even though Jesus is sinless and incapable of sin... That doesn't mean he can't suffer the consequences for our sin. He can't sin and he won't sin, 
but he did allow himself to be sinned against. He allowed himself to be despised and spit upon, whipped and mocked. He allowed himself to suffer pain and hunger and thirst and sweat, to cry and to bleed and to sigh and to die. And that's because he came to be our substitute, to stand in our place, to face all of these things innocently, the consequences of our sin. Jesus allowed himself to endure the pain of evil and wickedness, even though he himself would not and could not ever become evil or wicked. He could be sinned against, but he himself could not sin. And I want to drive that point home and cement it into your minds that the Lord Jesus could not sin. All right. Now I know what you're thinking next. (laughs) Well, fine. Jesus can't sin. But if Jesus can't sin, then he has no idea what it's like to be tempted now, does he? He has no idea how hard it is to resist temptation. He doesn't know what I go through in my life. He can't sympathize with me. What can he teach me about temptation if he can't even sin? Well, there's a lot of problems with this way of thinking. And the first is this. There is a difference between temptation and sin. They're not synonymous. Temptation is the intense force or pressure from the outside to think or do or say or even want or desire something evil. But to sin is to give in to it, to actually think it, to say it, to do it, to desire it. The next thing you have to keep in mind is this. Jesus was fully tempted and yet without sin. Uh, That's what we heard in the epistle lesson for today in Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and was yet without sin. And this is remarkable. To be honest, I'm having a hard time describing this because I don't even know what this is like. To be tempted and yet be without sin. You see, usually when when you and I talk about temptation, we mean that we sort of want or desire something that we're not supposed to have. But you see, the problem there is that if you want the thing you're not supposed to have, then you're already sinning. You're already complicit. You've already done the thing. You've coveted in your heart. Jesus said, you heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that even if you look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery in your heart. The sin is already in the heart. It's already there. The commandment is already broken. Even though it hasn't passed through the lips or or been acted with the hands, it is in the heart. And that is sin. So what does it even mean? than to be tempted like Jesus was, but not give in to the sin, to not even consider it or want it? How is it that Jesus was tempted to covet, but then he never thought of it or desired it? What is it even like to be without sin and yet be tempted to such a great degree that the Lord was? And the answer is, I don't know. Honestly, part of the problem is that we don't even know the difference between temptation and sin because we give into temptation so often. We can talk about this difference, but really you and I have no clue what it even feels like. 
I've never experienced such a thing where I'm tempted by something and yet my heart doesn't sin in desiring first. But Jesus knows the difference. He knows what it's like to be tempted and he knows what it's like to be without sin. So uh, the main point I'm getting at is this. Even though Jesus could not sin, he was fully temptable. And you may say, but he doesn't know the greatness of temptation because he never sinned. And I would respond by saying this. Because of this, because of his inability to sin, Jesus knows even better what it means to be tempted than we do. He knows even more what temptation is like. He knows it to a greater degree, a degree that you and I don't know. The pressure, the pull, the gravity, the weight of temptation. He knows the allure, the call of temptation much more than we do. In order to get this point across, let me try and show you how it's true that Jesus knows temptation better than we do since he couldn't sin. And and I'm using this analogy. Imagine that there are three men all standing at the edge of a cliff, okay? And the cliff is maybe a mile above the ground. At the very bottom of this cliff is sin. And let's say to be specific, the sin of lust, more specifically, Let's say it's the sin of watching pornography. All right, now imagine that the devil is standing on the cliff with those three men and he ties a cord around each one of their waists. And each cord, the cord itself, holds up to 200 pounds of weight. So the devil goes up to the first man and he throws the rope over the edge of the cliff and then he adds weight to it. And he adds 10 pounds and then 15, and then 20, and then the man starts to feel the weight pull on him. Now it's 30 pounds. The cord begins to squeeze tighter and move him a bit, and he says, no, I'm not going to give in. Now it's 40 pounds. It's getting very, very uncomfortable for him. It's 50 pounds now, and he gives up, and he lets go, and he jumps off the cliff into that sin. The next guy sees what happens, and he starts to feel the same pool. He gets stronger. It's 20 pounds, now 30, then 40, then 50, then 60. And then he says, no, I won't give in. I won't give up. It's perverse. It is wicked. And now it is 70 pounds pulling on him. He's leaning over. He's digging his heels into the dirt. He's holding on to the grass with all of his might. Now it's 80 pounds pulling. The cord is digging into him. It's deeply painful. It's tearing apart his skin. He's starting to bleed 90, 100 pounds. The pain is too much. He gives up and he lets go and he jumps into down the cliff into sin. Now it's the third guy and he begins to feel pressure. It's 10 pounds at first and 20, 30 50, 
He says, no, I won't give in. It's 60 and 70 and 80. He digs his heels into the ground. It's 90. It's 100 pounds. He's feeling the same amount of pressure and pain on his body. It's tearing his skin. He's bleeding. He's leaning forward. He's holding on. It's 120, 140, 150. He's leaning over, holding on to the grass for dear life. 160. 170, he feels a sharp pain through his body. He's weeping and he's bleeding. He looks up and sees his dear wife in the distance going about her day, trusting him. He sees his children who love him and admire him. And he sees the Lord looking down from above with love saying, don't give in, you can do it. 180, 190 pounds now. He says, I won't do it. I'm not going to give in. Help me, Lord. 195 pounds and 200. And the cord snaps. And the weight falls and it's over. Now you tell me, which one of these three has the best understanding of temptation. Which one of these three men knows the full weight of temptation's allure? Was it the man who gave in at 50 pounds? Or the man who gave in at 100? Or was it the one who endured all 200? The valiant one, the one who stood his ground, who did not give in and who was victorious through it all? It was him. He knows the full weight of temptation. He endured all that the devil could throw. And here is the point. You cannot fully understand the gravity of temptation to sin by engaging in sin. See, there's this idea going around that if you give into sin, if you engage in it, if you experiment with it, if you jump into it, then somehow you're going to have a better grasp of what it means to be human, a better and deeper understanding of sin, a deeper understanding of what it means to be tempted. Some may even think that by giving into temptation and jumping into sin, you may even have a better understanding of Jesus and come to appreciate the gospel and his forgiveness even better than those who don't. But that is wrong. Those guys who gave in at 50 and 100 pounds, they don't know. They think they know, but they don't. Those who give in to sin have less of an understanding of the horror of sin and the weight of temptation than those who don't give in. So who has a better understanding of what it means to be tempted? We who have indulged in sin and given into it time and time again? Or the Lord Jesus who never did once. When Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, this was a real temptation. It was a grueling. It was alluring. It was agonizing to him. The, he experienced everything that the devil could throw at him. And these were the worst and the strongest temptations. And these temptations were tailored to him. Things that were alluring to him. That could be. So a, a quick word on the, the, the form and the way, the method of the devil's temptation. Look, the devil tempts us with things that we're most likely to give in to, the thing that is most alluring and charming to us. In other words, he goes after our weak spots. 
So mechanics and businessmen are tempted more often to steal and be dishonest than others. Spouses are tempted to be unfaithful, to divorce, and to look for another more often than others. Children are tempted to be obedient and unruly more often than others. Employees are tempted to be lazy and to complain more than others. Beautiful people are tempted to be vain more than others. Pastors are tempted to be unfaithful to the word of God, to care about the opinions of men more than others. So you understand this, that the devil attacks the Achilles heel, the things that are truly attractive and enticing. This is, he, he knows this about you and he will find it. Well, the devil is trying to do this with the Lord. It's true, Jesus has no weak spot. But he does tempt Jesus to get out of something that he doesn't have to do. That'll make sense in a moment. Uh, The devil tempts Jesus to break the law of God. Yes, this is true. But there is another dimension that we ourselves don't understand. Behind every single one of the devil's temptations to Jesus, there is a far greater temptation in order to explain it, here's the last analogy. I promise uh, I won't use any more after this. Uh, but the analogy is this. Imagine that the entire world is surrounded by a bubble, a sphere keeping us in. And everyone inside the sphere needs to obey the law of God, the Ten Commandments. And we can't get out of this. We're, we're stuck in here. Now, the Son of God from all eternity is not in this bubble. He's not under the law. He's not under the Ten Commandments in that way. So he is not from this world, but he has chosen to come into that sphere, into that world, into that bubble, and he has decided to step foot into the world and live with us under the law. That's Galatians chapter 4. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And so the main point is this. When the devil tempts Jesus, the ultimate temptation behind all of those temptations is the temptation for Jesus to leave that sphere, that bubble, this world, to come out from placing himself under the law. Simply put, the devil's temptation to Jesus is that he leave us. That the Lord would abandon us. It's as if the devil said to Jesus, Look, Jesus, you don't have to stay here. They do. You can come out of here any moment you are God. It's not natural for you. This is beneath you. You belong in glory, in the radiance of the Father. You don't belong on this earth. You don't belong here. You don't need to stay here. You don't need to hunger and thirst. Remember, the devil's first temptation to Jesus wasn't simply to eat bread. You'll notice this in the temptation. The devil didn't place a piece of bread before the Lord and say, eat The devil puts stones in front of him and tells him, turn these stones into bread. The temptation there isn't to eat. The temptation is do a miracle for yourself. Serve yourself. The temptation is use your power for you. Come out from under the law. Come out from the suffering and the pain that you're undergoing. Unleash the glory and the majesty for yourself. 
once and for all and get the credit you deserve. Let the nations uh, uh, all see you and glorify you. That's what you need. That's what you want. Serve yourself. And the devil's temptation is that to Jesus. To discourage him. To say, look, there's a bunch of people here who don't care about you. Nobody will care if you eat or you drink or you hunger or thirst. There's a bunch of people in this world who don't listen to what you have to say. There's so many who can't keep a commandment if their life depended upon it. There's so many who can't be bothered by what you are going to do or what you're going to say. They're all ungrateful for what you're doing. So give them up. They don't deserve you. Just let them be. They don't want you. Just leave them. Let them go. Don't take their place or go to the cross. They're not worth it. And it's true. Jesus never had to place himself under the law. He never had to come to this earth and he didn't have to stay. But to this temptation, the Lord Jesus said, no, I will not do it. I will not leave their side. I will not forsake them. I will not abandon them. I will be with them. I will stay. And even though they've broken the commandments and even though they've jumped into sin time and time again, I will not. I will keep the law for them. I will be perfect for them. I will go to the cross and I will take their place. I will stand my ground where they have fallen and failed. I will be perfectly obedient to the Father who loves them. I will forgive their sins I will win their salvation, and I will not fail. And he did not fail. And he did not turn away from his suffering because he did not want to turn away from you. He loves you. He forgives you. And on that cross, he overcame every single sin and temptation, and he won for you life forever. With might of ours cannot be done, soon were our loss effected. But for us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. Ask you, who is this? Jesus Christ, it is of Sabaoth, Lord, and there is none other God. He holds the field forever. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.